0: Hello and welcome to Crossing Channels, a podcast collaboration between the Bennett Institute for Public Policy at the University of Cambridge and the Institute for Advanced Study in Toulouse. This series is all about using the interdisciplinary strengths of both institutions to explore some of the many complex challenges facing our societies. I'm Rory Catlin Jones, and we're calling today's episode Broadband Before Bridges and asking Can digital technologies leapfrog the obstacles to development? To explore these issues today, our first guest is Stephanie Deepavine from the Bennett Institute. Stephanie, remind us of your main research interests.
1: Yeah, for sure. So my research looks at digitalization and politics, specifically with an interest in the sort of offline online dynamics.
0: Lots to chew on there. And our second guest is Rahima Masulwa, also from the Bennett Institute. Rahima, tell us briefly about your research. So, my
2: research is about the organizational dynamics of large scale infrastructure projects and the planning and implementation of such projects.
0: Thank you. And our final guest is Stefan Straub from the IAST. Stefan, what do you focus on?
3: Hi, Rory. Um, My research is about uh, infrastructure in the process of development in general, um, both the impact of infrastructure, but also uh,
0: institutional arrangement that that make this this infrastructure more or less efficient. Thank you very much. So three guests, all with different insights on this whole question of whether digital technologies can really leapfrog development across the world. So let's start with what we actually mean by digital infrastructure. What is it and where are we seeing digital technologies playing the biggest role in economic growth and development? Stephanie, you get us underway.
1: So the way I see infrastructure, and I'm I mean, my other colleagues might see it differently is it's really about the material and organizational requirements for how things operate and how we live our lives. When we think of digital infrastructure, it's specifically the resources and the structures that rely on data in order to operate. And this includes hardware, software, but also um, the policies and regulations as well. taking a bit of a broad view.
0: I mean, are we basically talking smartphones and the internet? Is that all this is? Or is it much broader than that?
1: Um, I mean, it's a lot more than that. If we think about what's going on here as well, too, it's the use of smart technologies for our homes. Um, It's thinking about 5G. It's looking at the apps that we use to track something like COVID-19, and the way that governments sort of track and monitor and relate to citizens. It's the city mapper app that you might use in London to get around the city as
0: well. Rahima Masulwa, you are very much focused on infrastructure. What kind of examples are you seeing around the world of digital infrastructure making a big difference in development?
2: If we consider the African continent particularly, there's a big focus on fintech and payment systems. Given the greater need for payment systems, there's also an opportunity and a large take-up of internet access where the Western world and America for example have reached saturation in terms of internet access. India, Africa are still catching up, if you will, in terms of internet access. So there's been a lot of take up in, in that sense.
0: We're some way into the digital revolution. I suppose we're, we're 30 years into the sort of web era and we're maybe 15 years into the smartphone era. Are you actually seeing data out there reflecting the success of employing it for leapfrogging countries ahead?
2: Well, um, I think that's probably one of the limitations of the revolution, if you will. That we don't necessarily have solid sources of data or comprehensive sources of data but there has definitely been an impact in terms of payment systems in terms of integration with um, the global financial economy i think perhaps not the best example but if we see if we consider for example trading cryptocurrencies and the like there's, there's a big take up of that on the African continent, for better or for worse.
0: Stefan Straub, what does your research tell you about what's important about digital technologies in this area and, and what the achievement or track record has been so far in development?
3: Maybe I can say a, a bit uh, what infrastructure means for economists in general. So, first, it's a network industry. So, it's an industry that by nature connects a lot of people. And relies on on connecting a lot of people. And that's true for transport, uh, energy, and, and of course, communications. Second, it's an industry that uh, relies on on large sunk investments. I mean, if you want to bring uh, internet to some place, you need to have cables, uh, sometimes submarine cables. I mean, these are huge investments that need to be made before it even works. And then, you know, it has this public good nature or it generates externalities. So it's it's useful for what we want to do with it, but it's also generating plenty of other effects. And then in terms of the digital uh, dimension specifically, on, I think there's something else to it that it's also what economists call a, a general purpose technology. It's not only useful for what you do with it, but it's it's also making all other sectors suddenly work in a different way. Uh- potentially a more efficient one. That's what, of course, uh, justified the fact that people place great hope in, in, you know, having digital technologies changing
0: the process of development. On the matter of the track record so far of these technologies, I mean, I think we're, we're finding it difficult around the world to measure, to spot any sort of productivity boost from the digital revolution so far. But in particular, in developing countries, are we seeing any data suggesting that?
3: So, yes, I mean, there's, there are actually a, a few studies that uh, that document this. I mean, in, in the case of Africa, there's a, there's a very well-known paper by uh, Horch and Poulsen a uh, couple of years ago in the American Economic Review that looks at the arrival of uh, submarine internet cables along the coast of Africa, and depending on where these cables arrive, uh, they then look at uh, the impact inland of uh, on, on employment and different measures of economic activity, and, and they, they actually find uh, positive and significant effects of the, of these new internet connections. So, so this, there is this presumption that that it does indeed have an effect. There are also studies by like uh, Tavnitzky and, and co-authors that show that it helps consumption smoothing, so it helps fintech digital payments help people smooth consumption in case of big shocks. I mean, we we do have data and and it's building up. I mean, uh, it's a costly process, you know, to collect that type of data, but a lot of people
0: work on these issues, yes. Is the term leapfrog technologies actually useful here? I mean, for at least a decade, I've been hearing the idea that mobile tech, for example, will leapfrog various countries ahead through several stages of development. And one example is M-Pesa in Kenya, mobile money taking off faster in countries like Kenya than in places like the US. Stephanie, is that a leapfrog technology?
1: I mean, I guess just to qualify something here um, is I really don't like the use of the word leapfrogging, I think, when we're talking about something like development or what's happening here, because I think I'll give my reasons and we, we can see what we think about this. but. Um, one, this sort of idea of leapfrog suggests that we understand the path for development that exists and we understand where we're going and what it's going to look like, and also that there's sort of a trajectory of how to get there. And I think what's really exciting with something like MPESA is not that it leapfrogs to the next stage of this linear model of development, but it actually suggests different ways In which countries can improve economic growth they can try to bring about inclusion in different systems that may be taking a different path or sort of a different set of progression than we may have seen in something like the uk or canada where i'm from so in this sense this particular innovation around mobile money and payments using mobile technology has facilitated financial inclusion it's allowed for the smoothing of consumption like stefan spoke about And it's sort of changing the way in which we might think about what precedes what as countries try to achieve better economic growth and how they build towards that. So I guess the word leapfrogging for me is a bit misleading, perhaps.
0: Rahima, do you not like the term leapfrogging either?
1: The application of technology
2: on the African continent is very particular and probably has parallels with India in that it's really about optimising day-to-day life, right? And part of that is enabling development, enabling technological advancement in a way that can improve people's quality of life. And to suggest a leapfrog, as Stephanie said, pits it against existing or alternative realities or paths to development that we have seen before. But in this case, it is a question of improving the conditions on the ground and seeing where it takes us and being open to where it takes
0: us. Stefan, what kind of conditions need to be in place in countries for that kind of technology to deliver? It's not simply a question, is it, of countries saying, right, this digital revolution has arrived, we're going to go for it
3: just to to say a word on, on the leapfrogging okay people have leapfrog like fixed phone with mobile phones you know in places where mobile f- mobile phones really, really like uh, came in a, in a, in a void where the people were unable to to get fixed line but then w- what do you do with with these mobile phones what do you do with you know this this internet access and and behind that there's real activity you know people have to produce stuff they have to exchange stuff I think the concept that I, I like uh, and, and is better than leapfrogging development is the one of complementarity. Because, in fact, what we we increasingly see seeing and understanding through, through the, the studies that that are being made is is that different type of infrastructure are useful if they if they come in bundles. So, of course, it's great to have internet access. You can uh, have a, a create a new firm and, and generate some economic activity, but then. You know, you, you need to uh, deliver that service and exchange it with some people. And you, for that, you might need roads and you, you might need people to have other goods or services they can exchange with you, etc. So it's really more this, this idea of, of complementarity. And digital is, is not
0: going to solve that, uh,
3: you know, alone. It's, it's you know, of course, uh, part of part of a, a general development strategy that, that needs to be in place.
0: Rahima, g- give us your take on that. I mean, the other question is, who benefits? In in some countries, the arrival of these digital technologies benefits one part of the population and not the others. We've seen all over the world digital divides opening up. Is that a concern of yours?
2: So yes, I think in certain African countries, certainly in Tanzania where I'm from, there's a very clear urban-rural divide, right? So the rural population uh, will be amongst the highest who are unbanked to do not have access to things like fintech, et cetera. I think in terms of the conditions required, this is related to the work of the late Callestis Juma, where he spoke about the importance of basic infrastructure, even for digital infrastructure, not only as an enabler and as sort of the motherboard on which all other technological developments are built on, but also as a platform for facilitating skills development right so the technical skills the engineering skills etc that are used to develop basic infrastructure can then be leveraged for developing digital infrastructure so in a sense basic infrastructure is a one of the conditions for more advanced digital infrastructure but also can reflect some of the divides where access to basic infrastructure will, or lack of access to basic infrastructure will almost certainly mean a lack of access to the more sophisticated forms of digital infrastructure.
0: I presume that it's intensely political, this debate in a, in a lot of countries, that there can be great resentment if, if some parts of the country, for instance, are seen as getting access to greater connectivity and others are not.
2: Absolutely. So it can be I think it can be political on a number of fronts, definitely from a who is serviced versus who is not. One sort of example is the South African context where access to infrastructure was the result under the apartheid regime of specific spatial engineering. Right. It was very specific who got access and who didn't get access. And we see the legacy of that today. I think it can also be political in that governments can be sceptical of digital technology, digital infrastructure, in that they potentially see it as a source of political activism or as facilitating political activism.
0: Yeah, they may not always see greater connectivity as a positive if they are quite a controlling government. Stefan Straub, is there a danger that in this rush this huge excitement about digital, other types of absolutely vital infrastructure, roads, electricity, water, will get overlooked. And that will actually make the whole digital deployment kind of irrelevant anyway. So, of
3: course, the the choice of governments in this type of context, uh, what type of spending and what have public goods they should do as a priority is, is always a difficult one. I'd say it's to some extent it's not that bad in that case because the development of a digital sector is is mostly driven by the private sector because it's profitable. So if we accept from that like a uh, backbone infrastructure, which uh, in, in many cases has to be subsidized or supported by by the public sector, the rest you know mobile phones, internet connectivity, you can see fintech, etc., is mostly driven by the private sector. So there's no real conflict with, you know, uh, a government, on the other hand, doing roads or possibly uh, working on extending the
0: electricity grid. So uh, I'll be less worried on, on that front. Stephanie, what's your take on this government's priorities on where they should be pushing, whether they should just be focusing on digital or whether that can be a distraction?
1: I think digital is something that can be sort of pushed as sort of a flagship project for governments as well, too. So in that sense, it can capture the political imagination in the same way sort of some other large-scale capital developments can as well, too, when we get close to election time. I think I would agree with Stefan in that it doesn't seem to be distracting from other large-scale infrastructural projects. So, for example, we can see in Kenya both an emphasis on digital infrastructure and digital investment. We also see quite large-scale capital infrastructure projects with actually a lot of Chinese investment too, which adds another sort of political dimension to it around the railway, around the ports, around building new roads. So in that sense, that matters. And I think that also goes back to sort of the bigger question about what is development. And yes, it's about these sort of large directions the country is moving in. But as as Rahima spoke about, it's also about what happens on the ground and what people are actually experiencing. And in that sense, these sort of more traditional infrastructure developments matter. And I guess just one sort of aside from that too, and I wonder if Stefano Brahima might have more to say here too, but sort of digital infrastructure relies on very stable other forms of infrastructure. And I'm thinking here specifically around electricity. And one of the sort of underlying conditions that seems to be quite a big deal on the continent is establishing reliable electrical infrastructure to support digital infrastructure as well as people's sort of everyday livelihoods. And we can even see in a country like South Africa, We can see the institution of regular load shedding programs to sort of control electrical supply. And I sort of wonder, to what extent can we see digital infrastructure really transforming what people are doing economically without that sort of underlying stable electrical infrastructure?
0: You mentioned China. I want to bring us on to another sort of factor here. There's a kind of superpower race in technology. And I think there may be a concern also that the US tech giants, in particular Google and Facebook, arrive promising to digitize developing countries for, quotes, nothing and end up almost as colonial powers. Stefan, is, is that a worrying factor, the, the the sheer power of the US tech giants and on the other side, the Chinese government?
3: Well, I think it's a story that repeats itself. For a very long time, uh, the US and European countries have uh, have done development projects in many places around the world, in Africa and South America and, and Asia. And, and they've done that because it was tied to uh, investment that were basically made by their own firms. And also establishing political power in these places, and, and now you know China is entering the game, and we feel like it's oh they're doing something extraordinary, but they're just doing exactly the same thing that you know the U.S. and Europe has been doing for a long time. On what was said before, I just wanted to jump back. I mean, uh, what Stephanie said, I think in terms of digital, where the intervention of the public sphere is very important, is is more in regulation than than investment itself, creating stability, creating level playing field, rules of interconnection, competition policy, and and all these preconditions that actually make the the functioning of the sector more efficient.
0: Now, I want to draw this altogether an end by trying to work out whether we should be optimistic about what's happened so far. It's probably at least 20 years now that this idea that digital technologies can produce a real rocket fuel for for development has, has been in the air. Stefan, just conclude here. How should we view progress so far how optimistic should we be about what digital technologies can do for development i think
3: we can be optimistic in the sense of this general purpose technology is really a a revolution in the way all sectors work and and in that sense if we make good use of that we obviously uh, have a a new tool to uh, avoid some of the of the main roadblocks and bottlenecks that uh, plague development in, in a place like africa which on the other hand has is lagging in roads and energy and, and, and other aspects but then we should probably uh, not forget that these things as we say don't work on their own they need to work as as complements and finally we haven't mentioned that but you know there's a big question in the air you know digital technologies are extremely energy consuming and since we are doing this at, at the world level i mean there's an issue for climate here how much energy are we we going to use in order to digitize the whole economy? And we don't have clear answers to that. And people deserve access to development. Uh, Once we have 7 billion people, you know, consuming on the level we are consuming digitally, what does it mean for climate change? Uh, I I think this is a a very serious question.
0: Stephanie, picking up up on that. Obviously, on the negative side of the balance sheet, if we're looking at digital technologies and development, isn't it? Do you retain optimism that that can be navigated successfully and we can use digital to advance development?
1: I mean, hypothetically, I would be quite optimistic about the possibilities that the way in which we're seeing digital technologies being used in various ways in the African continent globally is quite exciting, opens us up to thinking about how development takes place in different ways. The challenge is, as well as Stefan said, is that we're not looking at development on the Afghan continent in a vacuum. And there are quite big global inequalities in energy consumption that do have climate implications. And so I think it's definitely possible. But I do think it requires us sitting back and thinking about sort of the distribution of consumption and the distribution of how we use some of these resources
0: as well. And Rahima Masulva, I would imagine amongst the populations of these African countries particularly amongst the younger populations and a lot of them have very young populations there is still actually huge enthusiasm and excitement about these digital technologies which will drive them forward is that the case?
2: That's definitely my sense of things I think as I mentioned earlier the opportunity on the African continent is to apply technology to sort of improve our day-to-day living right everything that we might take for granted here for example, e-commerce or wireless payments, etc. It's still a great opportunity for us to exploit technologies that have already been developed in other parts of the world, but also to develop technologies from the ground up that apply to local conditions in different countries. So I think there's definitely a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of potential for the application of digital technologies across the continent.
0: A good point to end. And that is all we have time for on this episode. Thanks to our expert panel, Stephanie Deepavine and Rahima Musulwa from the Bennett Institute and Stefan Straub from the IAST. Let us know what you think of this fourth edition of Crossing Channels. You can contact us via Twitter. The Bennett Institute is at Bennett Inst. The Institute for Advanced Study is at IAS Toulouse, and I am Ruskin147. If you enjoyed this episode, then do listen to our other Crossing Channels editions covering topics of ethical AI, nature in the economy, and running government. And please join us next month when we'll have a new edition looking at the levelling up white paper in the UK and whether other policies to address regional inequality have worked in the past.